0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you so much for once again allowing us to gather. We do pray to have open and receptive hearts We pray for a movement of your Holy Spirit on this campus. May you keep everyone on this campus safe. May you empower every uh, teacher on this campus. And may your word go forth and not return void. And I don't believe it will, Lord. Your word will accomplish the purpose you have set for it. We praise you, Lord. And I do pray for the gift of teaching. Help me, Lord, to decrease while you increase and be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in the gospel of John, John chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 36. So John chapter 8, verses 12 through 36, and of course, we do have a title for the message, and the title is one word, freedom. That is the title of the message. And of course, the message today will hopefully... Do what God designed his word to do. That is our prayer. You know, God says in his word in Second Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, that, that this God-breathed word, this inspired word that he gave to certain men that he set aside to write it down. He said that it's useful to, it's useful to provide doctrine teaching. So if you want to know what we should believe as believers, if you want to know what is true about God and and every other topic, you go to the Bible. It's the word of God. So it's useful for doctrine, for reproof. So it, it shows us what is wrong in our life. It points out, in other words, what is crooked or broken in our lives, but it's also useful for correction, how to correct those wrongs in our lives. But it's also profitable for instruction in righteousness. And then, of course, so all of us as believers may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so that is my prayer today as we jump into John chapter 8, that the word of God will do what it is designed to do. And I believe God for that. Amen. So in verse 12 of John chapter eight, it says, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life or have the light that gives life or that leads to life. And so at this point, Jesus was in the treasury, which was located in the court of the women on the temple complex. And so obviously he's teaching here, and at this point in his teaching, we, we see that Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. And so you see one of several I am statements of Jesus, and we'll talk about the I am in just a little bit but but some scholars believe that Jesus was piggybacking on the imagery of the lamp lighting ritual that happened during one of the feasts and and, and the feast that had just occurred is called the feast of tabernacles or feast of booths mm-hmm. and so they believe that maybe Jesus was picking piggybacking off the imagery and so the symbol of light and the lighting ritual or ceremony reminded the Jews of the pillar of fire that gave light to them during their 40 years in the wilderness after the exodus, after they came out of Egypt. Remember, they were in slavery there. And so some people think he's piggybacking off that imagery, the pillar of fire and these light ceremonies that, that are going on here. And now Jesus applied this light imagery to himself. I am the light of the world, which implies that the world is in darkness. The world is in the darkness of sin and death because death, of course, comes as a result of sin. The world is in the spiritual darkness of sin and death. And and Jesus, of course, is the light of the world who brings light to this dark world. He brings light to this, in other words, dead world. And anybody who lives on this planet who wants to get out of that spiritual darkness, who want to get out of that spiritual death, they, they may. They can come to the light of the world and receive that gift of life. Jesus is The light of the world. But in verse 13, it says, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness or you make claims of yourself. And the Pharisees, by the way, they were one of the sect of the Jewish religious leaders. And you will often see them going back and forth with Jesus. And and, and on a side note, you'll see Jesus being uh, merciful and compassionate to to the sinners in the Bible. You see that. But when it came to these self-righteous religious folks here, full of pride, Jesus was more harsh with them. And, and the Pharisees, they, they were one of those groups there, the sects there, that, that would also butt head with Jesus. But they told him, your witness is not true said, you're the light of the world. What you're saying about yourself isn't true. And Jesus answered them and said, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. It is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. In verse 15, you judge according to the flesh or by human standards. You you don't really know me, but you, you think you do. Just judging according to your standards. Jesus says, I judge no one. And yet in verse 16, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the father who sent me. And he says, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. It is valid. And he said, I am one who bears witness of myself. And the father who sent me bears witness of me. So, notice what he says in verse 15. He says, I judge no one. And so, the first time he came, he's talking about this first coming. The first coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, he came to deal with the sin issue. He's dealing with the sin issue. He came to die on behalf of humans, sinners. And so, he didn't come to judge, he didn't come to condemn. He wanted to die in their place so they can have a right relationship with the father. But many of you are Bible scholars. You you read the scriptures and and you understand that one day, yes, he will judge. And, And the Bible tells us that the father has actually committed judgment to him. And so whenever he judges, when that time comes for him to judge, it will be true as Jesus stated here, and it will be righteous. But when Jesus comes back to judge, my, my, my question for you is, 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 will you stand at the judgment seat of Christ or will you stand before him at what is called the great white throne judgment? And there is a difference between the two. You see, the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ is... is, is something for believers. It's reward day in other words. And some believers will have more rewards than others. And those rewards are rewards that that, that nobody can steal. Nobody can take it away. No rust can get to it. No moth can chip away at it or, or, or destroy it. Adding to your treasures in heaven. You can do that right now. So you can be faithful to whatever God has called you to do right now and add to your treasures in heaven. You can do that now and at the Bema seat, it will be a great day for you. But like I said, unfortunately, some believers will have more than others, more rewards than others. They'll be in heaven, but some will have more rewards than others. And, and then there is something that's called the judgment of the nations that is at the second coming. When the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 25, that he separates the sheep from the goats. And that determines who is allowed to go into the millennial kingdom. Those are those who come out of the great tribulation period. And there's some who are going to turn to Jesus during that time. And some will be allowed to go into that thousand year reign of Christ. Again, it's called the millennial kingdom. And we're going to be with him. Those of us who are believers right now will be raptured up, but we're going to come back with him in our glorified bodies. So we won't be a part of that judgment of nations, but that's something that Jesus is going to do. But then you have that great white throne judgment. I said that earlier. So now it's time to explain the great white throne judgment that is only for unbelievers in Revelation chapter 20. And that's where people are going to receive their final sentence because they refuse to receive Jesus Christ. They refuse to repent when they had the chance and receive Jesus. So therefore, they're going to experience the second death. And so they're going to come before him after the millennial kingdom. Heaven and earth are going to flee away from the universe, going to flee away from him. and, And here you're going to have him, white throne judgment. He's going to open the books. None of them are going to be in the Lamb's book of life. These are all unbelievers, but he's going to judge according to their works. Why is that? They're already going to that lake of fire, which in Greek, Gehenna or hell. They're already going there. Why open the books? Because it's going to determine the degree of hell they'll get to experience. And so today, believers, we, we are on a mission. We need to share the gospel with as many people as possible because that judgment day is for real that great white throne judgment is for real but 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 which judgment will you be a part of to get back to my initial question will you be at the bema seat of Christ reward day or will you find yourself at the great white throne judgment but something else i want to point out here from these verses in verses thirteen through eighteen is that whatever Jesus says about himself is true. Yes, these religious leaders they can they can claim that his witness is not true, but 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 Jesus declares that whatever he says about himself is true. Why is that? Well well, number one, he knows where he comes from and where he's going. And that is, of course, heaven, which means that he is an eternal being, which means that he is God. He existed before the universe existed. He existed before mankind existed. He existed before any planets existed. He is an eternal being. He is God. In fact, Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and we're going Old Testament on you right now and this morning where... It says here, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, remember Jesus was born in Bethlehem as a human. He's always existed, but as a human, he took on a body at a certain time in history. But it says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, the southern part of Israel, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting You see that he he came from eternity, eternal God. But there's another reason that whatever Jesus says about himself is true. And that is found in verse 18, that the father agrees with his testimony. The father who sent him bears witness of him. So what Jesus says about himself is true. So are we paying attention to the words of Jesus? Whatever he says about himself is true, not what the world makes up, not what politicians make up, not, not what these false religions or cults make up about him, but what did Jesus say about himself? In verse 19, it says, then they, speaking of the religious leaders, they, they said to him, where is your father? They took a jab at him because remember you know, Word is getting around about this virgin conception and his virgin birth. Mary, of course, being a virgin at the time she gave birth to him. And obviously, folks didn't believe it. And so it was almost a slap in the face in a roundabout way. Man, where is your father? They said to him, Jesus answered you, you know neither me nor my father. If you know me, you would have known my father also. So, so the fact that they didn't know where his father is. And I use present tense is because the father still exists. He's in heaven. You even hear that in the model prayer Jesus taught us, our father, which which is in heaven, right? So the fact they didn't know where his father is, they didn't know his father shows they didn't really know Jesus. And how many of you know that if you want to know God better, if you want to know the father better, then you need to know Jesus a little better. Because Jesus would declare, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How, how can you say you don't know me? I'm, I'm, I'm right here in your face. How can you say you don't know the Father? You know Jesus, then you know the Father. If you know Jesus, then you know the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know how the invisible God is, the God you cannot see, if you want to know how he is, then, then look at Jesus in the scriptures. Look at Jesus' life. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's first in rank, in other words. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the most clear expression of God ever. That's why He's called the Word of God. What do words do? Words express thoughts, it expresses our thoughts. And so Jesus is the fullest expression of God the Father we will ever see. He is the image of the invisible God. And so if you know Jesus, then you know God. You know the Father. And I would encourage you, if you don't today have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to repent. That means making about face from your sin. Turn to Jesus. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him for salvation. And in verse 20, it says that these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. He taught on the temple complex and nobody arrested him. They didn't lay hands on him for his hour had not come. It wasn't time, in other words, for him to go to the cross. Oh, that time was coming, but not yet. Not at this time in which we're looking at this lesson. It wasn't time. You see, God has a specific time for, for things in his plan to fall into place. His plan, of course, was created in eternity. He's an eternal being. But at a certain time, part in, time in history, they're going to fall into place. And, and right now, it wasn't time. His hour had not yet come. But, uh, but I want to use that as a springboard to share something with you. Because I believe that that some of you are waiting for something to fall into place in your life, something that maybe you have been promised, something that maybe you spend time in prayer about and you really feel that God is leading you, that God has told you to do something. Oh, that ministry is going to get started up. He's called you to a certain thing a certain place, and you're trying to force things to happen. You're growing impatient with God. I just want to encourage you that the plan was created in eternity, but at a certain point in time in history, it will fall into place. So be patient, be encouraged. God has a specific time. And in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus said to him, I am going away. Speaking of his death, resurrection, and ascension, him going back to the Father. And he says, and you will seek me, speaking to these unbelieving religious leaders, you're going to look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. You, you won't be able to go to heaven with me. Because you, 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 if you stay in that position where you're unrepentant and not putting your faith in me, you're trusting me for salvation, you're going to die in your sin. You won't spend eternity with me in heaven. And so the Jews, these Jewish leaders, they said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, that is, of the earth. I am from above, that is, from heaven. You are of the world. I am not of this world. Verse 24, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Yeah, That last statement there, that clause there, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's very interesting because the word he is not in the original text. So the way it reads is that if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So he, of course, was added by the translators. But it wasn't in the original text. So if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. You may recall the story in Exodus chapter 3 when God is talking to Moses and and he's commissioning Moses to to be used as the human deliverer of the the people of Israel. To deliver them, to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. And he asked God, "If, if they asked me who sent me, what do I say? And God told him, I am who I am. I am that I am. It says, tell him I am sent you. And I am and I am who I am are translations of the Hebrew word hayah, which is a verb. It means to be. It means become or exist. Hayah is the root word of Yehovah, English Jehovah or Yahweh, the proper name of the one true God. See, Yahweh and Jehovah, are variations of what they call the tetragrammaton. That is the YHWH, those four letters, or YHVH. And I just want to share with you that no one knows for sure the true pronunciation of YHWH or YHVH because the Hebrew Old Testament did not use vowels since the ancient Hebrew language did not have vowels in its alphabet at the time the Old Testament was written. But the Jews consider YHWH too sacred to utter. But eventually the vowels from the word Adonai, which is, which is Hebrew for Lord, they were inserted into YHWH to form Yahweh. And so I am who I am is related to Yahweh, which is rendered Lord in all caps. So if you read Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, you look behind that. He's talking about. Jehovah or Yahweh and so I am who I am or I am or Yahweh they share the same idea and so from this name of God the, the I am we learn that God is eternal we learn that he is self-existent nobody had to create him we we understand that he's unchanging and self-sufficient But his name also suggests that he becomes to us whatever our needs might be. That's why you see things like Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh and so forth. There's a combination. So God doesn't just exist. He is active. He is the great I am. And so Jesus is saying, therefore, if they don't believe that I am, if they don't believe that I am God, then they will die in your sins they will die in their sins. They don't believe that he is who he says he is, that he's just not some good teacher or uh, some kind of cool prophet. But no, this is the son of God. And when we talk about him being the son of God, we talk about him having the very same nature of God, the father, he's equal with God. And so whatever essence God, the father has, Jesus has that. That's what it means by the son of God. It means to have the same nature as God. Second person of the triune God. One God who eternally exists in one person. So we serve one God, not three, but there's three in one. It's one times one times one. It's not one plus one plus one. If you're a math scholar, I'm not. I was an English major, so help me with my math in verse 25, it says, when they, that is the religious leaders, said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. He says, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you or to condemn you for, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up, speaking of the cross, when you lift him up on the cross, when, when you lift me up on the cross, the son of man, speaking of himself, he says, then you will know that I am he. In other words, then you will know that I am. Because again, he is not in the original text. And, and he says, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. Jesus spoke what the father taught him to speak. Hebrews chapter one says that in these last days, God, the father has spoken through his son. You see in the past, he spoke through prophets and so forth. But but in these last days, God spoke through his son. The clearest expression of him. And Jesus spoke. What the father taught him. And I would encourage all of us to take a page from Jesus's book, so to speak, to, to speak whatever the father has taught us, whatever God included in his word, speak that don't start making up stuff to fit the culture because you want to be liked by the culture. No, strive to speak what the Lord has shared with us and it has included in his word. In verse 29, he says, and he who sent me is with me. He didn't just send me, but he's with me right now. Jesus is saying, the father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him. You see, Jesus is perfect in all of his ways. 100% God, 100% man. We're talking about Jesus, one person with two natures. And in both natures, he's perfect. And he always did what pleased God. But is that something we can say, that we always do those things that please God? And you, can, you don't have to answer out loud. But I can say we don't always do those things that please God because of what? We want to satisfy the cravings of our flesh, our sin nature. Or we may want to please those in the world. To be liked by the world. To have friendship with the world. I don't want them to know that I'm a Christian. They won't like me anymore. They won't invite me anymore. But James chapter four, verse four says adulterers and adulterers says, do you not know that friendship alliances with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You don't belong to this world system that is under the sway, that is under the influence of the devil. So why you want to form an alliance, yes, we should love them and share the gospel with them, but don't do the things they do. Our arguments should not sound like the arguments the world is using, just so we can fit in. Instead, we should take a page from Jesus' book again and try to do those things that please God. And I'm going to give you a good starting point. That is to trust in him. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please him. But you must believe whoever comes to him. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you want a good starting place for pleasing God, trust him. Put your faith in him. But as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And so we see Romans ten seventeen being acted out here because the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They heard the word of God. They received it, some of them. And so not everybody in that crowd were antagonistic or were against Jesus, were arguing with Jesus. There were some people there who were actually listening and then they, they, they started believing in him. And, and that's something for us to take, that, that As you go out and as you share the gospel with family and friends, there's going to be some people to argue with you, going to be some people to make fun of you. Some people are going to be hard hearted. But then. Don't get discouraged, don't get upset, because there could be somebody you're talking to along the way or maybe in that group. That God is really chipping away at the hardness of their heart and drawing them to Jesus. And so there's some good soil there. As we see here. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. If you abide in my word. Or continue to obey my teaching. You are my disciples. You are my true followers. And so you see the test of a true follower of Jesus. That we just don't profess to be a believer. No we continue in his word. There's permanence. There is a a habit of remaining in the word of christ following his teachings that's a demonstration that we're true believers but there's some people who claim to be a follower of jesus but yet they disagree with him in all types of matters of life but i wonder how can you be a follower a true follower of jesus and you're going to disagree with him on the value of life going to disagree with him on whether or not life is valuable to him inside the womb or outside the womb? How are you going to disagree with Jesus even when it comes to marriage? But I'm a follower of Jesus, but you disagree with him. Who's really your Lord? On what is sin, what is not sin, how to worship him or not. People disagree with Jesus on all these types of issues. The word of God is not to be played with. It's not to be tampered with. And we're in the last days. And the rapture is getting closer. When he's going to snatch us up out of this world, are we ready? And you, speaking to these people who are believing, verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make or set you free they, that is the religious leaders, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage. We never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them in verse 34. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits, that is, it's not talking about a one-time thing every once in a while sin. It's talking about a habit. You're practicing sin. In other words, this is your lifestyle. Whoever it has sin as a lifestyle. It's a habitual thing. You're a slave of it. And a slave does not abide in the house, does not live in the household forever. But a son, a real child, they abide forever. They belong to the family forever. The New Living Translation reads this way in verse when we look at verse thirty five, it says a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. In verse 36, it says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free. Indeed, you are truly free. That's what the word of God says. So I do want to touch on something from here because it would appear that that some of these Jews here, these religious leaders, they have a short memory or haven't been reading the scriptures because they said we are Abraham descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. They, they forgot the history that they used to be in bondage in Egypt. They, they, they forgot the, the book of Judges where, where all these various nations oppressed them. They, they forgot about the Assyrians. They, they forgot about the Babylonians. They, they forgot the, uh, about the Medes and the Persians. And in fact, during this time here of this lesson, they forgot that they were under the rule of the Romans. So where, where is, what was going on there? Where's their memory? What's going Is it pride clouding their judgment? They, they disagree with Jesus so much they're just going to start making up stuff? That's what people do today. But, but I'm going to say this. In general, people crave and look forward to freedom. For example, we know that black slaves in America craved and looked forward to freedom. And we saw the efforts to get rid of it in the U.S. and the United States with, with President Abraham Lincoln issuing the formal emancipation proclamation on January 1st, 1863. And then eventually in 1865, the 13th Amendment was adopted into the Constitution and slavery was officially abolished in the U.S. People crave freedom in general. Another example going back in time further than that. We know about the 13 colonies that existed on what we know as American soil today. We know that they wanted independence or to be free, if you will, from British rule. And of course, the Declaration of Independence was written in 1776 by Thomas Jefferson. And the Declaration of Independence is a list of grievances against the king of England that was intended to justify separation from British rule. And this Declaration of Independence was approved by Congress on July 4th, 1776. And so July 4th is celebrated by Americans as the birth of American independence from Great Britain. You see, we as humans, we crave, we look forward to freedom. But watch this, throughout the years, millions of youths, and some of you are in this room today, teenagers, you're thinking of a time where you become 18 and you're going to be free from your parents' house. You want to be able to play games when you want to. You want to be able to go and come when you want to. And then when you finally leave the house and you're free and you're screaming out, free at last, sounding like Dr. Martin Luther King, you're screaming that out. But, but once you get a taste of pan for gas, you say, mom, dad, can I come back home? <laughs> you see, but, but we crave freedom. And I, I said, hey, I've been a teenager before. <laughs> In fact, I got married as a teenager. We were 18 going on 19, married for 25 years, and she's not tired of me yet. And so I don't say that to make fun of teenagers, but that's the truth. People crave freedom, but parents, I'm not going to leave you out because parents, you too crave a little freedom from the kids. In fact, some of you moms, you cannot use the restroom without some child knocking on the door sometime. I get it. Okay, so, so we, we, we crave freedom as humans, but the freedom that Jesus gives, right, it trumps them all. Amen. It trumps them all. Because he gives spiritual freedom from sin. But unfortunately, there's some people who think they're free like these Pharisees did, like these religious leaders did. They thought they were free, but they were really not free. They were in bondage to sin. And so Jesus had to point out to them that sin is a taskmaster and you are in bondage. You're in slavery to sin. And there's many people today who are still under the authority of sin. Romans chapter six, verse 16 says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So some people today are still enslaved to sin, but, but we need to have that chain of sin, whatever sin we're attached to enslaved to. We need to have that chain broken. And so my question is, which sin or sins are you enslaved to? Which sin or sins have you been attached to? Or you are still praying about it and you don't seem to be getting victory. You're still addicted to that pornography. You're still addicted to the alcohol or drugs. You're still lusting in your heart. Oh, and you still can't get free from that. You're enslaved to it. You need those chains broken, but but, but they're not broken because you're not handling it the right way. You're not getting the right person involved. And so you are still enslaved to that sin. And which sin is that for you? You see, Jesus... Oh, he breaks the chain. He, he breaks the chain of slavery to sin through the truth he speaks. Remember, the Bible says, Jesus says that, that you shall know the truth and the truth will make or set you free. And so Jesus breaks the chain through the truth he speaks, number one, and, and also through what he did. He breaks the chain through the truth he speaks and, and through the word he did. And thank God we have the truth that he spoke written down, the word of God written down. And so, number one, that, that, that written truth, which is the word of God, that was spoken by God, yes, it sets us free. But, but the living truth is Jesus. So both are true. The written truth set us free and the living truth, Jesus Christ, set us free. Why do you call Jesus the living truth? Well, Jesus says, John... 14.6, I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. The written truth, the words spoken by God set us free, and the living truth, the living word sets us free. So again, Jesus breaks the chain of slavery to sin by the truth he speaks and through what he did. But, but let's take a deeper look at what ways we are set free from sin. You see, first of all, we are set free from The penalty of sin. We've set free from, number one, the penalty of sin, which is, of course, eternal death. The wages of sin is death. See, Jesus is able to break the chains and set us free from the penalty of sin because by his blood, he paid the price to set us free. He redeemed us. You see that word in the Bible. That means he he, he paid the, the, the price to set us free from the slavery to sin so that we'll never be enslaved again. He, he paid that price. So that's what he did to free us from the penalty of sin. And this, of course, is applied at the moment that we trust in Jesus for salvation. So if you're repentant and you put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you won't have to face the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God in hell. But you have to start there. That has to be the starting place. If you're going to overcome the the daily power of sin, the overall power uh, of sin in your life. As you go through that sanctification process, you become more like Jesus and less like the old you. If you're going to be free from the power of the sin nature, even as a Christian in your daily walk, in your daily life or lifestyle, you have to start at being free from the penalty of sin. So now that we established that, that is, of course, point two, that we're set free from the power of sin. So you're not practicing sin. That is not your lifestyle. So if you are a believer and you don't seem to be getting victory over an area of sin, then I would say evaluate how close you're walking with Jesus as the worship team comes up. Evaluate how much Jesus is involved and evaluate how much of the written word that is the truth is in you. In other words, how much truth do you know? Because you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. So if you're having a hard time as a believer overcoming a certain sin, answer that question. How much truth do you know? How much truth, the word of God, uh, are you understanding and applying Because the Bible says in Psalm 119.11 that your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And let me rephrase it this way. Your truth I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, the written word of God, the written truth. The more of that we have in us, the more we abide in that, the more freedom we'll get to experience in our daily walk. And you'll know when someone is walking in freedom because you'll see more of Jesus in them and you'll see less of the old them. But then finally, he sets us free from the presence of sin. And eventually that will happen at glorification. That is the final stage of salvation. That's when we receive our glorified body. No more sin nature. So we will not be able to sin anymore in our glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine says, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, that is Jesus Christ. And so one final thought I want to leave you with. As free people who have become children of God through repentance and faith in Christ, you, you don't have to worry about that Statement Jesus made in 35, verse 35, where he says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Because you are a child of God by faith in Christ, you will remain in the family of God forever. I don't care how many family members, your blood family members reject you, talk about you, don't invite you anymore. I don't care about that. But when you become a child of God. You will never, ever be put out of the house, out of the household, because you are a part of the family of God forever. And as believers in this place, I want you to look to your left. I want you to look to your right. I want you to praise God for the new family in God that you have. You will never be put out of the household. And that's because you are free in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. We praise you, Lord. For any of us, Lord, who may be struggling with certain sins, you have the power to set us free. We know that. Help us, Lord, to surrender Help us to give it up to you. Help us to get more of your word in us. May your word take root deeply and richly in our hearts. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, set us free from it, Lord. And may you bless my brothers and sisters as they leave this place but not your presence. Bless them, Lord. Keep them safe. Use them in a mighty way this week. In Jesus' precious name, let the church say Amen. amen.